sharpen your pencils and get your notebooks out. It's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Phantom. Welcome to another edition of the Star Seminar. We are your hosts, Dr. Rabble Rouser and Dr. Danny Phantom. And we both just picked up our caps and gowns from the cleaners because they were covered with queso from graduation parties. How are you today, sir? I am doing fantastic. Um, I am just about done with my vacation, so I'll be back to work on Monday. But I'll tell you what, uh, the good side of that is I have finally completed this uh, long dreaded fence that I have been. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, so it felt so good. I tell you what, it, it, it took a toll on me. And, uh, you know, I'm not a young you know, a little whippersnapper, you know, like I used to be. So it's, uh, it was a lot of work, but, um, nonetheless, I'm pretty happy about it. It's so that's done and over with. Um, I'm also excited about, um, Monday is when better call Saul starts up again. And you know how much I love that, you know, that the, the, that whole breaking bad and Saul series is one of the best shows on, on TV. So that will start up six episodes of that. And, and I'll tell you what, Rabs, if you, uh, once that starts to wind down, we will be in right in the middle of Cowboys preseason football. And I tell you what, I am super excited about preseason football. I don't know if, if you're... I think you may be the only one, buddy. You know what? I may be. And it's, it's a weird thing about me. Is this, since I've started following the Cowboys closely and like like really watching film and just you know knowing all these you know lesser-known players and stuff, I get really excited about preseason football. But, you know, for starters... The anxiety of the winning losing is not there. So I don't really worry about that. You don't have to ever be concerned about what even happens. But there's just so much opportunity to analyze all these players. You know, over the offseason, we'll have opinions and we'll have thoughts about what we think about this guy versus that guy. And then some of that will start to present itself. So for me, I just love to sit back and just have a cold beverage and watch, rewatch. I, I tell you, I watch more preseason football than I do. I rewatch games more in the preseason than I do in the regular season. And it's just, I just love it. I, I know that's a very weird thing. And I'm, I'm sure there's a, probably a really small group of people that fall in that category. Uh, but that's just a weird thing about me. And I, I wanted to ask you if, you know, is there anything weird about you when it comes to the Cowboys or just maybe football in general? Um, yeah, I, I would say the thing that's weird about me is that uh, I don't like to watch the game with anybody. And then attendant upon that, I don't like to have a bunch of like food and drink and snacks and stuff during the game. Like uh, Super Bowl parties, I used to go to them when I was younger. I don't go to them anymore because like it's always it's always there's always a bunch of peripheral stuff. And all I care about is the game. And and, and you were talking about as you started studying film more, et cetera, as I've as I've studied more over the years and become you know, a better fan, a smarter fan. I want to, I want to watch how the game is unfolding and I want to watch the chess match and I don't care about all the food and all the other, all the other chatting. So um, both of us, I think live outside of um, the Cali, the, the Dallas sort of, you know, the DFW TV market. Right, so right. we don't, we don't get all the games. Right. I uh, am, uh, have the misfortune of living in Philadelphia. So that's Eagles country. Um, the good news is that both the Cowboys and Eagles are popular NFC East teams, so they're both on um, national games fairly frequently, um, sometimes against each other. But that, that whenever one of them is on the national game, it usually means the other one is 
then I'll be able to see the Cowboys because uh, if the if the Eagles have a you know Sunday night game, then the Cowboys are going to be the headliner in the afternoon game um, during the day. Uh, and so I only really have to go to a sports bar probably two, maybe sometimes three times a year. Um, and oftentimes what I'll try to do is plan that out ahead of time because you can look at the two team schedules and know like which games are not going to be on TV. And so if it's possible, I'll even go travel to see one of those games. Um, so so that's not that's not a terrible thing. You know, there's several there's several sports bars. They always have the Cowboy game on. They usually relegate us to the back room because I do live in Eagles country. Um, but I'll tell you what, the other thing that's weird about me is that I, I don't really like doing that because then again, it brings in all the other aspects, all the distractions, all the food. But the thing about it is, as, as I was just saying, I really like to watch the chess match. The thing that drives me the craziest about that is not other fans, not even fans, you know, giving us a hard time for being, you know, fans of the Cowboys. It's the other Cowboy fans. <laughs> because I'll go there. And of course, all the Cowboy fans who show up that day are, are tend to sit in the same room and invariably there's a couple of knuckleheads who have been like listening to like the worst of espn or you know Stephen oh, smith man. or you know like th those memes and they're there trumpeting those memes about something about the cowboys that couldn't be further from the truth couldn't be a, a stupider more controversial quote-unquote hot take and it, and it's exhausting and i don't i, I certainly am not in the, the mind frame in that particular moment i'm trying to watch the game and as you said I'm super anxious about them winning or losing. I'm not in the right headspace to sort of patiently explain to them why that take is garbage. And so they, they actually, uh, my fellow cowboy fans tend to, um, you know, negatively impact my experience more than pretty much anything else. I, I go with my friend, big Melly, who's a really smart fan. So he's good. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll talk. I like talking to him during the game because he always has, like two or three really interesting observations that I have, haven't thought about or haven't seen. But it's, it's the other people like at other tables during the commercial breaks will lean over and, and, you know, and then spout something that I just sort of, I just sort of like sigh exhaustedly. And, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah. And I usually just, you, you know, try to give them, I'll, I'll just sort of nod and, and cringe inside. So um, that's my weird thing. I know a lot of people really associate football with, 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 with like partying and fun and friends and, not me at all. It's it's all about the game, all about winning and losing. And I, if I had my druthers, I would be alone in a room, um, with no with nobody there, no distractions. My wife can come in because she's cool, but and she doesn't hassle me during the game and stuff, and um, doesn't ask questions and stuff like that, you know. And she, and she roots hard and then leaves and goes and does something she'd rather do. But uh, that's that's really the limit. Yeah, that's uh, no, it's weird. I, I guess you know I prefer to be alone as well, and. Uh... I, I can handle being around people, but I totally know what you're talking about. Uh, especially, you get around a lot of the surface fans that you know, they're pretty hardcore with the criticism. It's usually it consists of firing this guy or cutting this guy, and they don't have any any knowledge as far as like how that wouldn't work salary cap wise or something. Just like you know, just silly stuff. And it's just like, and it's it's tough to be in that you know in that group and watching and listening to that uh so i mean i tell you what, cowboy fans you know n not any of our listeners but cowboy fans you know they can be a little bit uh you know a little exhausting at times um but you know well and we're, we're the biggest fan base so i don't i don't think the cowboys have any a greater percentage of of diehard smart good fans than any other team i don't think they have a uh you know a greater or lesser percentage of knucklehead fans than any other team. They just have more of them because there are like twice as many Cowboy fans as any other team. 
So, I mean, that's the beauty of it is that there's a lots of other really, really smart cowboy fans and they're great to talk to. And, it, and you know, you run into them, uh, you know, on, on websites or, or at camp or during games or whatever, and it's a delight. But there's also going to be more of those other those other folks who are just, you know, basically qu- quoting the latest, um, he, you know, head, eye-catching memes and things like that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's part and parcel of it. Not much you can do about that. Yeah. Well, Raz, I'll tell you what. You are my number one Cowboys fan. Oh. And I want to give a shout out to the late James Kahn, who just passed away yesterday. Um, Rab, I was going to ask you, what's your favorite James Kahn movie? Uh, well, it has to it has to be Godfather Two. You know, I mean, I, that's that that movie is so great. Um, and you know, the, the famous the famous you know uh, Tolbu scene. But like, I don't I don't know that he's particularly good in, in the in, in the godfather movies like I, I don't look i don't look at his performance and say man that was an amazing performance i think he's he's fine as, as sunny but i mean it's the best movie he's ever been in i think um but i will talk i will say uh shout out to the man's range he played sunny corleone and he played the dad in elf and that's a nice <laughs> range over the course of a career how about you? Which, do you have a favorite James Conn flick? I want to say that Elf is is heavily <laughs> underrated. I know a lot of people are. Oh, sure. it is, it is. But that's I, I didn't watch it for years, and I, my wife's best friend was like, "You got to watch Elf. It's hilarious." And I finally reluctantly did, and I was I, I was like, "Yeah, it's pretty good." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I am a I, I I love Elf Elf. So, but you know what? To me, I just I I know this is probably like the the more commercial one or at least what people remember of course obviously godfather was you know the godfather 2 was was pretty it was big for him but i mean i just really i enjoyed misery because you know stephen king's oh, story yeah. and, mm-hmm. and um and i just thought you know that of course you know and then uh kathy bates at the time that was like her breakout role and and uh you know she's a very talented and that, that i just think that whole story was pretty pretty intense and uh i thought you know and con did a, a fabulous job with that and i, I mean I know that's not. I don't have any like uh, big or un, under the radar con movie to to mention, but uh, I, I think actually I think that's a great choice because that really felt like a departure from the kind of film he'd been doing, where he was always playing the kind of like you know big chested you know tough guy or whatever yeah. you know, and then so, and then he went and you know played someone who was sort of you know humbled and then hobbled literally. Hobbled. Um, and uh, and it just felt it felt like oh this is like James Kahn can do like present quiet work as well you know what I mean yeah because that movie was, it was basically it was a two person movie for the most part yeah it, for sure yeah and um and so I just yeah it was I, I I was like oh okay interesting oh yeah he can do different stuff if someone finally gave him a chance to do something different and he, and he rose to the occasion so I actually I think that's a terrific choice yeah. Yeah. So, Rab, what can uh, you tell everyone about w- what's on today's agenda? Well, speaking of terrific choices, my friend, uh, we've got some great uh, things we've chosen for our little agenda here today. Um, since we have three weeks before training camp, um, what we wanted to do is a little 2021 recap of the, the Cowboys' three uh, NFC East opponents. Um, so we're going to each, each of the next three weeks, we're going to review the two games against each of our NFC East foes. We'll start this week with the Giants, and we'll do the uh, Washington football team slash commanders next week, and then we'll conclude with the hated Eagles. Um, so we're going to discuss one team each week. Um, but before we do, um, and, I th- and I think, you know, I think there'll be some, some common threads that emerge from that. Um, but before we do today, uh, talk about the Giants, 
I hear you have a couple of free agent questions you'd like to mull over. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I have to get this off my chest. And, you know, so and what better per- person to discuss this with than you? And uh, so, you know, every week it just feels like, every, you know, everyone on Twitter is just having issues with the, the Cowboys' lack of doing anything and, and free agency. And the offseason are just, you know, they're just setting, this, setting themselves up for another season that's going to go nowhere. So I am not of that belief, but I wanted to, I started thinking about things and I want my first question for you, Rabs is what free agent did you want the Cowboys to go after last off season? Is there any player that comes to mind? That's a good question. I mean, so you're talking about like the spring of 2020. Yeah. 20. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or any, any player, that you know before the start of the season that um you would have like hoped they would maybe address a certain position or if there was there somebody you would have liked maybe then to splurge a little more on because we know the cowboys didn't do any of that last year it was it was all really low cost free agent signings uh, but is there like somebody that you were i mean we all have our list of like i kind of would like to have this guy or or that guy is there anybody that like even in hindsight you could even cheat even in hindsight, it's like, can you think of like where the Cowboys messed up? Should they should have like opened their wallet for somebody that they didn't last off season? I, I I'm having a hard time. I mean, so last off season, they, you know, they they. I mean, people, we were hearing a lot of the same, uh, the same narrative, the, right? The same, and, and, the same. And and um. But last offseason, I think they did what they've always wanted to do in terms of free agency. Um, what they want to do is, you know, wait and find uh, bargains and try to get depth players and find um, find guys who, who, are, who are capable of filling in if a young guy doesn't, like, take the next step or if a draft pick doesn't, um, you know, really step up or something like that. And so... Um, I think they've tried to do that, you know, for years. And I think the last year or two, they've just been more effective at it. And, and I think last year in particular, they were really effective at it. They did a great job with their free agent hall. And part of that's, you know, part of that's just good fortune. But part of that is, I do think that for all of, for all of the doubts that people have about Mike McCarthy, it feels like he and his coaching staff have done a better job of communicating with the scouts in terms of the, targeting the kind of players they want and bringing them on board. Mm-hmm. I feel like they've done a better job, particularly the bot filling out the bottom half of the roster in the years that, that McCarthy's been here. Um, so, no, I, I, I mean, I think the answer really in, in, in many ways is no, there was nobody. And, uh, and the answer for me for this last off season would be, no, there really wasn't anybody ex- except for Randy Gregory. So, so, uh, I actually really believe in the Cowboys philosophy. I think that there are lots of teams that have done really well with that philosophy. I think that philosophy makes a lot of sense from a, from a sort of fiscal standpoint in, in, in such, and by that, I mean, you, you draft well, you develop your players, you pay the guys who've already been in the locker room, who've already helped the team, who, who, you, who everybody sort of believes in and knows their leaders and people see that if they give it up for the team and they're dedicated to the team, that they will be rewarded. Um, and so I think that that's, I think that can be a, a really powerful philosophy. The fact that they haven't won a Super Bowl is, as we've talked about many times, 
in many in many ways more of uh, a kind of result of luck than it is the fact that there's a flaw in this philosophy and what they should have done was 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 picked up cer- a certain player in free agency. Right. So I, I I mean to for, to for to me the real failing was letting go of one of their own guys who they'd invested in so much in Randy Gregory. Um, both from finance, I mean, actually less from a financial perspective and more just from a kind of like emotional support network perspective. And I, I and he, you know, he finally seemed to be yielding the, uh, dividends from that investment. And so that kind of hurts. It's like selling a stock right before it explodes. And it's possible he'll never do thing, great things, but I, I just have a feeling like he was right on the cusp. You know, he was a, he was a, he'd been around for it since 2015, but he had, didn't have a lot of mileage. Right. Didn't have a lot of wear on his tires. I, I feel like he, he would be, he would have, uh, been capable of playing younger than he was because f- football years he's still young because he hasn't taken as much abuse. Right. So that's the one that really hurts for me, and and uh, that was the only time in free agency I was disappointed. Like I don't care if they don't pick up a guy who was a first round draft pick, so everyone's heard of him, um, but he's you know clearly a declining player, uh, uh, you know, or his team wouldn't let go of him. And there's a reason that guys are available. People seem to forget this. There's a reason guys are available. Right. Yeah. If, if, if in fact, as so many people like to say, the cap is a myth and any team can, can, can sign as many guys as they want, then we have to ask ourselves, why are guys available? Right. No. Right? So, so guys are available, not because of money, but because the team doesn't like them. Right? The team might say it's because of money. And that's what the Cowboys did with Leo Collins and Amari Cooper. Leo Collins and Mari Cooper would be here under their same contracts if the team liked them, but the team didn't like them in the locker room. And so they're gone. And so when guys, when guys are on the market when guys are tradable, when teams are, are willing to get rid of guys, it's because there's uh, a personality issue, an effort issue. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're not a great locker room contributor. There's something, there's something there that makes them feel like the investment is either it would be dangerous to reinvest or it would be bad for the rest of the team to see that they invested in this particular cat because the rest of the locker room would be like, you, wait, wait, you, you, you just spent 67 million guaranteed on him when we've all been working so hard. So fans continue to continue to forget this. Like if you're going to accept the salary cap as a myth and, and, and really like the Venn diagram, people who say salary cap is a myth and they want them to sign everybody is almost a perfect circle. So if, if in fact you believe part A of that, which you all, almost all people who, who are complaining all the time about them not signing everybody d- does believe, then you have to then believe part B of that, which is um, that means their, their original team had the ability to re-sign them. So that's not the issue. The issue is something else. And so why do we want to pay top dollar for other people's um, rejects for guys who are rejected precisely because they don't get along or they're, they're difficult or they're lazy or something. Yeah. And sometimes it's because they're injured and they're really good guys. And, and so, so yeah, I mean, occasionally that that's the case and you want to invest in those guys. And, and I think we've seen a couple of teams do that successfully, but for the most part, the narrative of free agency is, you know, Stephen Jones talks about you're paying, you're paying like premium rates for good players. But you're also paying premium play rates for good players whose other team didn't want them. Yeah. And so it's the, it's the, they're good on the field in terms of their tape, but they're not good for some other reason because if they were, their team probably would have resigned them. 
Yeah, and it, there's there's so much overwhelming evidence too that just shows you that players don't live up to those contracts. So, I mean, if you're going to pay out money, I mean, you're just going into it like like losing. You just it's unless you expect to be one of those people that you know break the the trend, you're going to be it's a losing investment. It's I mean, it's not guaranteed to be, but it's high probability to be. And then if when the Cowboys are are paying these low costs, I mean, those are such low risk. And then you get players like, you know, you know, J. Ron Curse who outperforms and your chances of actually, you know, getting more out of what you're paying for is 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 far greater. And 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 that's what bugs me too, is the Cowboys are coming off one of these seasons where they just really I think they did such a fantastic job last year. It didn't feel like it. I would have been like, eh, it's fine. I'm okay with it. it's fine. I'm not like, you know, giving out awards, but I'm not disappointed either. It's just fine. But but in hindsight, looking back, it was they did a fantastic job. And and to me, that's what I wish people were more supportive of that because your your chances of of getting more for your money is far greater. And then when you're able when you do get more for your money and when you're spending cheaply there, you can, you have all this money to sign, to sign Dak Prescott and, you know, and to pay players like CD lamb that will cover Micah Parsons and all, and all these players that, you know, you know, are great players. And, but I don't know, for some reason people, I think people just want it now. They want it now. They want it. They spend it. Now we have the money. It's, it's burning a hole in their pocket. They want it now. They they want to do it. They want to stack everything they can and just go all in on whatever season it is right now, and then and just deal with whatever afterwards. It's just that's. I mean, hey, that that's a, that's a legit philosophy, but that's not the Cowboys' philosophy. And so, if you if you have a, if you have a, um, an issue with their philosophy, then then that's fine. I, I mean, I think there are teams that have won using both philosophies, right? So. We can't say that the Cowboys' philosophy is wrong because it's been very successful. And I think that you know the the team that everyone wants to compare them to right now is the Rams because the Rams just won and they've been they've been pretty good since Sean McVay got there. And obviously they don't care about draft picks. And it, it may be that that comes to bite them and they have five, you know five to ten years of horrible horrible you know records because the the cupboard is bare. Or it may be that they that they're actually really really good at, at, at managing it and this philosophy is sustainable. We, I don't know. I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about that is there's many, many other teams that have adopted that same philosophy and it hasn't panned out and they've got nothing for their huge investment. You know, we laughed at the, at the, you know, at the Dan Snyder team for years. He would go in and get a whole bunch of big name free agents and nothing would happen. And so, you know, you and I were talking before the, before we started to record and, and you know, the, in many ways the question is, okay, so what do people want? You know, like when you ask, what free agent do you want? Did you want the Cowboys to sign? I'm like, I didn't really want them to sign anyone. That's largely because I don't want them to just go after a name because he's a name. It seems like a lot of these people just want, oh, I heard of that guy. Let's get him. We want to get him. Oh, I can't believe someone else got him. Cowboys, you know, never spend any money. Um, but they don't actually want that free agency. They want the feeling that, that or, or the sense of hope that getting that free agent can give them. Right. I think ultimately what people want is hope. Yeah. And, and and it's too difficult, it's too subtle for people to see hope in young players ascending. It's a lot easier to see hope in, oh, oh, that's a guy who was a first-round draft pick four years ago. I've heard of him. Good. I like him. Or, oh, oh, he went to a major, he went to SEC school. I know about him. I, I like him. Um, oh, he must be good. Um, 
and uh, and so I think what they really want is not a player, but a feeling. I will also say one other thing about this, which is that I think that fans, and I'm not, I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback from folks on this, but I think that fans believe there's a much greater difference between the very best players and the and the the not so great players like between the you know the top five guys on a roster and guys number 48 through 53 on a roster and i don't actually think there is so i think when you're it's one of those things where the curve is really steep you're paying way more for the top players on your roster than than they give you other other than the quarterback quarterbacks are still like their salaries are depressed in in this league the salary cap is designed solely to suppress quarterback salaries and it continues to work effectively even with deshaun watson's contract exploding uh, quarterback salaries they're still i think uh, uh, undervalued and underpaid according to what the um they would be getting on open market and what they deserve in terms of their share of uh of contribution to wins and losses but um i i don't think that there's actually that much of a difference between the top players on a roster and the bottom players on the roster they're better players no question um but i don't know how much better they are and so if they're getting paid four or five times as much you're not getting four or five times better performance you're getting a better performance but are you getting a four or five times better performance no and so where's the best investment the best investment is as you said earlier to invest in a bunch of guys who are going to be players 30 through 50 on the roster you're going to get them for for something that's a lot closer to what their their actual value is and and like you said they may they may well exceed that that investment but if they don't um you're getting you're getting so you're getting such a, a much better deal for performance, and so people will say, "Yeah, but they're not game changers." I don't I don't know that I believe in game changers. I think guys make plays, but like, oftentimes they make plays because there's a deep roster and everybody trusts everybody. You know, I I I really don't think that there's that much difference between the top players and, and yeah, I'm, I mean, and, and, and the bottom players, and, and I, so. It makes so much more sense to try to invest in free agency in those guys who are going to fill out your roster and make it deep rather than try to try to get guys who were only good, who were let go of their, by their team and try to make them, you know, players one through seven on your roster. Yeah. Now I remember when Laurent Robinson was thought to be a pretty big game changer, a big, a big playmaker at, at least. And, uh, you know, you could, you know, there's a reason why he was, he was always open and, uh, you know, it's because of, uh, you know, like you said, there were the other players on the roster too. And, and so, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, he had one year where he came to, came to a team with a really good quarterback who had rapport with him and he, and he, and he didn't have to, you know, he had a number one receiver who was at his prime and, and, and was, was getting a lot of coverage and he exploded. He never had a year before that. He never had a year after that, you know? And so I think that the, the key difference between guys who are like first round picks and guys who are seventh round picks. Yes. There's a talent difference. I think we, we, we understand that in many cases, there's a, ta- there's a talent disparity, but really what it's about is opportunity. Yeah. Right. The first round picks are given every opportunity and seventh round picks are given only whatever opportunities are left after everyone who's drafted ahead of them is eaten. And, um, and that's really, that's really the biggest difference. Yeah. That's the biggest difference is, is opportunity. I think it- um, and, in a, in a league and in a sport where opportunities um, there's not enough opportunity to go around. There's not enough balls to go around. There's not enough snaps to go around. The, the person who's given opportunity is the one who's, who's going to have every chance of succeeding. And so 
that's what happens. I mean, it's a sort of self-perpetuating thing. Someone's a top 10 draft pick. They get every opportunity. They, they're, they're seen as being good. And sometimes maybe they are, but other times they're, they, they're given every opportunity because the team's already invested in them, you know? And then, they, and then the, the team makes a tough decision to, to not re-sign them because they weren't worth the investment. And then, they, and then everybody's like, <gasps> they're great. Well, they're, they, you know, look how many snaps they had. Well, they had a lot of snaps because the team invested in them. You know, they, they were given, they, you know, they, they, they were throwing a lot of balls because they were a top 10 pick and the team had to, had to throw balls to them, even if they weren't great. Yeah. You know, you know I mean, it's one of those things where like everything's self-perpetuating. Well, anyway, anyway, I'll get off, I'll get off my soapbox well, now. Speaking I, of, I, of opportunity, yeah. I, I just want, the last thing I wanted to say on the free agent, and then we'll move on to the, to the giants. But, yes, um, um, so I, 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 I'm actually happy the Cowboys, you know, they, they keep saying that we're not done in free agency and I, and I actually believe that they're not. But I really think that what what's going on here is, you know, they're they're want they're waiting to give their guys opportunities. I think they're going to assess assess where they are, and I think if they find that there still are needs where they may have maybe miscalculated some things, then I think I think that's when they will go out go out and sign players. And, and if you look at it, it's like there's there's no there's no reason to go out and sign. Uh, I don't know, T.Y. Hilton right now, if, if he's available, I don't know. But like a player like that, there's no reason right now. We don't know. Maybe maybe there might be later, uh, but but there's going to be players like that, you know, any position who they could, if they evaluate and see that there's a, there's a, 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 a bigger need than they realize, then they can go out and do it. And it's not going to cost them very much because there's, you know, a lot of players to choose from. So to me... I mean, I think that the Cowboys, you know, they have a plan and they want to let these players give these guys, these young players, a chance that, and they'll look at things and see see where they stand. And, then, uh, and I expect to see some veteran signings, whether it may be, be another linebacker, you never know. Maybe we need another corner or something. I mean, who knows? I mean, last year I was I was worried about cornerback um, because I didn't really, well, wasn't a big believer in Kelvin Joseph. And uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't mind them getting a corner. And they got, they went and got, what was it? Or they, they had uh, Maurice Kennedy, who I think he might have been coming back from the second year from like COVID or he didn't play mm-hmm, year mm-hmm. before. If I, but then, you you know, we saw him at camp and he was making plays. And, and of course the Cowboys, they didn't have problems at cornerback. I mean, with the way Anthony Brown played and of course, Trayvon Diggs, you know, played extremely well. And um, Lewis in the slot, it's, I mean, they, they had things covered. So even, even when I literally, yeah, they had things. Uh, so I, even when you think that there are probably things that worry you, maybe they aren't actual concerns. And if they, if they reveal themselves, like say in camp coming up, then the Cowboys still have an opportunity to address those. So I guess what yeah. my, my message to, to fans who are just like really frustrated with that is just let's wait and see. Let's, let's see what we, let's, let's see what they got. I mean, and, then we'll. Um... I think that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, I think you touched on exactly the the right thing there, where you were like, they're going to see what's going on in camp, but you also talked about youth and and guys who are developing. And so, why would you? I mean, so you said like, why if something doesn't pan out? Well, the thing that's not going to pan out is that a young player doesn't develop or ascend in the way that they thought he might, right? But but the flip side of that is, if you have a young team, where you have a, a really talented young roster. And you have guys in their second, like first years going to second years and second years going to third years who are in those, in those years in their careers where they really do make jumps forward. Why do you want to get a bunch 
veterans who are going to take snaps away from them or, or block them, right? Yeah. You don't. You don't. You want to give them every snap you can. You want to give them every opportunity you can to develop. You want to get them playing against each other. You want to develop that competitiveness. And then, as you said, like if, if, if a guy gets injured, a guy, can't, guy doesn't take that step for some reason, then, then, you, then you can go ahead and make a move. But I think the thing, so, so, not but, but so, I think the thing that people are losing sight of is that the front office, and they may be wrong about this, and we're going to find out, but the front office looks at this roster and actually and says, this is a really talented young team. Let's let them develop. Yeah, and I think I think they're right. I th- I think they were. They, I, I, do too. I, I think they've had three really strong drafts in a row, and I think that this is a this is a very a very deep roster, and um and, and we're going to get ready to transition into our conversation here. But I think the theme in in these discussions the next three weeks about the Cowboys versus their NFC East appoint, uh, opponents is how deep this Cowboys roster is in comparison to some of the other teams. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let, let's transition to that. Um, I, I'd love to talk about, uh, you know, just do a kind of quick, quick uh, film review or, or not, even, not even really a film review. I think we can do a, a higher level overview than that. But um, let's, let's, let's kind of just begin by talking about each of the two Giants games in isolation. So the first one was, I believe, week five. They had, um, they, they were like a three and one team. I think that, is that right? Coming in or maybe. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, I know they had one loss, but I can't. So, so yeah, so they week, lost the opening the opening week to to Tampa Bay, then they then they went to San Diego yeah. and won, and then they came home and beat uh, the pants off the Eagles, and then uh, and then pulled away from and ultimately won pretty pretty handily um, a Carolina team that had come in with a pretty good record, mm-hmm. and so then the Giants came to town, and so they just they had just come off of two home games in which they had comfortable 20 point leads and I, frankly not, neither of those games um certainly not the eagles game uh was as close as as the score indicated even and the, the 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 panthers got a couple of late 
cheap touchdowns when the game was over and they pulled Trevon Diggs and the Eagles game. There's a weird, it's a weird series of events in the first half that um, kept the game a lot closer than it could have been. The Cowboys could have won by 30, 35 points. So, so here they are against the Giants. Week five, three and one Cowboys. Giants come to town. Thoughts? Well, my first thought is, I felt like it was so, sort of a continuation of of the games you just mentioned because things, you know, started off kind of slow. The Cowboys kind of were kicking themselves early, you know, shooting themselves in the foot early with a couple a couple uh, failed attempts to move the ball or convert. And I know their first possession they had that tipped pick i forget who who caught it but it was like a midfield and the bottle got mm-hmm. uh, so that like ended a drive there and uh and then i think later in the in the first quarter they end up like fumbling this the, the shotgun snap and mm-hmm. then the cost and then the giants recovered. i think they were at the five yard line uh so then they, i mean that opportunities and then so the cowboys were just kind of like I wouldn't say flat, but they were just kind of making mistakes. So, I mean, it was 10 to 10, like right before, right before the end of the half. And then, um, and then the, the Cowboys put together a nice, nice quick scoring drive to go up 17, 10 by halftime. But then it was pretty much just kind of, it was kind of slowly just, you know, just, I mean, what was the final score on that game? Do you know? It's 44 to 20. Yeah. So, I mean, in the end, it was pretty convincing, but I just, I think they just kept leaning and leaning and just finally it was, um, you know, it was all Cowboys. So, yeah. I mean, so if we, if we look at, the, if we look at the drives in the second half, uh, it was 17, 10 coming out of halftime, uh, Giants got a field goal, but they got a field goal that was on a drive that was essentially just one long run. And then a bunch of other short plays that we don't really productive. Then the Cowboys, 10 play, 75 yard drive, uh, Trevon Diggs interception, eight play, 39 yard drive to a field goal. New York uh, turns over on downs. Right? If you remember, there was that one play that was in the end zone where Anthony Brown and the receiver sort of fell. Yeah, down, they, yeah. They, they judged that they judged that the receiver fell. Then Cowboys, 98 yard touchdown. Uh, they go up 34, uh, 13. Giants get a touchdown on a sort of, you know, the sort of frenzied drive, uh, Cowboys drive, get a field goal, and then Anthony Brown gets a touchdown to, to, to seal it. And there's like a minute and a half left, and, Cow- and Giants basically run out the clock. So, I mean, they they really – the Giants did have a couple drives, but those that was when the, the game was already in hand. Yeah. Um, you know, it was already a 21-point lead, and the Cowboys just showed that they were the better team in the second half. I, I think that, you know, a couple a couple things about reviewing this, especially when we think like when the most recent memory of the Cowboys is the sort of second half of the year with the offense and offensive struggles. Um, whenever I go back and watch these early games, especially this stretch uh, from Philadelphia to New England, which was just a sort of glorious four game stretch, um, it's I'm just stunned by how explosive the running game is. How, how how they're just like they're just you know reeling off big run after big run after big run and they follow that up by big play action pass big play action pass so it was it was incredible because they were so explosive and so as you said they had a couple of weird miscues that weren't really even like they were just kind of like you know one one thing it was a weird tip pass that happened to come back down to the guy the other one was a strange fumble down near the end zone um, which you know kept the game close but it was never really close it was never in question the Cowboys were obviously the better team and and they could they were good enough to afford a couple of miscues and still win by 24 points yeah 
I mean, we, we um, should add that uh, the, the Giants did lose Barkley early in the game. Um, yeah. So, so this is the other thing about this is this is the game that in some ways sealed the Giants' season. So they came in one and three. They lose the game. They go to one and four. And remember, they lost both Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. So Daniel Jones, uh, there was a play down by the goal line where he got uh, tackled by uh, Jabril oh. Cox on a, third, on a third and goal play. And Jabril Cox, um, he got like Daniel Jones got like a bad concussion on the play and didn't return and was out for several games. So this was a very costly game for the Giants, too, because they lost basically their two best offensive players, or at least arguably the two most, most important offensive players. And uh, so, so uh, Mike Glennon, finished out the game and, and Mike Glennon was the quarterback the second time. Yeah. Uh, the, the, well, the for, for most of it, for most of it. Yeah. yeah I, honestly, I, I remember now, but I totally forgot that uh, Jones left the game. That one is that just kind of shows you what I think about Daniel Jones, just because I didn't even recognize that they were different. Um, I, I, well, I, I think that's, I think that's one of the really important narratives about the, the two games and about the teams is that, um, I didn't pers- like when I rewatched the game. I don't notice a tremendous drop off between Daniel Jones and Mike Lennon. Yeah, no, it's right, and 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 I and I don't think that's about Glennon's quality, <laughs> right? I think no, it's about Jones, correct. Jones's lack of right. quality. So, uh, so that that's game one. Game two, they uh, we you know they they go to uh, to Giant Stadium, obviously in the Meadowlands. The Cowboys have just come off. They're basically in a three-game stretch where they're playing at Washington, at New York, and then they return home to play Washington again. Um, and they just come off a game in which they went out to a really an early lead and dominated, especially on defense, just dominated Washington, especially in the first half, but really for the first, like, you know, two and a half quarters. And then, you know, Washington had a sort of weird, lucky drive with a couple of big plays. Cowboys had a couple of turnovers. Cowboys offense is struggling anyway, and, game, and the game gets close, and the Cowboys kind of hold on and win it. And it's a, it's a closer score than the game, and, and the difference between the two teams would, would indicate. So they're coming off of that game and coming and then going to Washington the following week. Um, excuse me, to, to New York the following week. So, so that's, that's the setup for, uh, for the second Giants game. Um, much different much different game although there are some similar i think some similar threads you know that, that between the two so um before we get into those thoughts about thoughts about the second cowboys giants game which which resulted in a 21 to 6 cowboy victory yeah well i mean so this one's yeah it, it's quite contrasting actually because i mean it was dominant still but it was yes. dominance from the defense it was do- yes. i mean the cowboys had four takeaways in this one uh, in particular, uh, Demarcus Lawrence was just a beast in that game. Um, you know, he had a hit on uh, on Glennon that Glennon that caused the ball just was a floating duck that Jordan Lewis ended up uh, mm-hmm. picking off. He also had the the peanut punch uh, on yep. Barkley, mm-hmm. knocked out the ball there. So really helping the Cowboys' offense. Um, I was really aggravated with the Cowboys' offense, and just uh, I think you know the thing that made me angry, and I don't know if you remember this, but I watching it's like. I, you know, I remembered it and I got mad again, but I was really annoyed with the clock management near the end of the first half. The Cowboys were driving. Schultz ca- caught a pass at the 10 yard line. They had 10 seconds yep. left and a, and a, and a timeout. And McCarthy doesn't call a timeout until like three seconds left. So they end up, obviously they have no choice, but to settle for a field goal. It's like, you have one shot to, you know, to, to you know, take out the end zone. It's like, what are you doing? And it, that really just, there, well, let, let's actually talk about that. What was he doing? 
well, he explained it later, and he was just, I think he was, what do you say? He was just fine with, with, you know, with the, you know, they didn't want to, I guess he didn't want to take any risk. He was, he was fine with the way the game was, was, mm-hmm. was going on. And um, so I think, you know, he just, he got very conservative. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it, that he was fine with it is, is his sort of BS, uh, you know, press conference answer. But if we think about a, a coach who does that, why would a coach not take that chance? Well, you, I mean, you want to come away with points and uh, you don't have faith in, in your offense. Uh, I mean, that's the only thing I can, I can see. It's like, yeah. why? Yeah. I mean, but to me that that's, I hope that's not the case because you, I mean, the Cowboys supposed to have a good offense. They'd have a good quarterback and they have some good players. And so to not take a chance is inexcusable to me. There's no, I mean, we're not talking about Andy Dalton or, you know, Garrett Gilbert or somebody where, where that, or the, you know, the, you want to come away with points or something. We're talking about Dak. And um, mm-hmm. so that's, it, there's no place for it. It was, it was, there, there, he, there, he should. I mean, so I, th- so I think if it was a playoff game against a better opponent, they probably would have gone for it, right? I mean, so par- part of this also, and I think the things you're saying are absolutely spot on, right? So, so that, so we don't trust McCarthy's press conference answer, trust his actions, you know, in terms of what, what he feels about his team, and, and, and I think you're right. That's the actions of a coach who doesn't trust his offense, but also knows he has the better team, right? So why, why take a chance? They come away with points. The other team's gonna have trouble scoring. Um. But I also think it's it's one of many indications over the second half of the year that the, the Cowboys' offensive brain trust was well aware of the fact that the offense was not its former self and was was not its former self for reasons that were probably not likely to change a lot because there were injuries, there were things were going on. It wasn't like one of those things where there was a you know they needed some one thing to change. I think that they knew very well that I mean, listen, the, if we're aware that the Cowboys' offense is in the funk. Cowboys offensive coaches are going to be aware of it too. And so I think that by then it had been several weeks. And I think that you're right. They didn't trust the offense. And, but they also had good reason not to trust the offense, but they also probably knew why they shouldn't trust the offense. Yeah. But what kind of analytic, analytics would it take for you to, to not take one shot in, in, in the end zone and, you know, just play it, lay up safe and just take the three. There's nobody's going to say that it's, I mean, there's not, tr- well, I, there's, I think, I think that, it's the analytics that say that the the best likelihood of the Giants of staying in the game is if you do something stupid and either come with zero points or give them an opportunity for points, right? So if you score three, that's three the Giants are going to have to score and they're having trouble scoring. Yeah, I don't know, Rab. Sounds like you're too much. You're you're defending the McCarthy's choice a little too much for my taste there. I think. Well, I mean, I guess the question is like. So a lot of fans want the, the, the offense to be aggressive all the time. And I understand that. It's a lot more fun to be aggressive. But the, the reality is if, if your offense isn't good, being aggressive is not necessarily a smart play. Yeah, but we're not ar- right? we're not arguing on, uh, on, okay, you got one shot at the three-yard line. You're going to take the three or you're going to try to go for the touchdown. We're talking about you have a free play. I mean, you all you got to do is not mess it up. So do you not, do you not trust Dak and, and company that much to – to not take a shot at a free play, and it, I don't think you do. I don't think you do. I think that, I think, I think that's know, a problem. I think you know stuff, stuff's going on. I think you know stuff's going on, and you, and you don't feel like whatever it is that is is, is uh, happening to the offense at that moment. I think you. I, I think I think this is a really important 
like I, I noticed that same sequence, and I think that's a really it's a really important sequence because it tells us it tells us volumes about a couple things, right? It tells us volumes about the as we've been talking about the trust in the offense and the offensive players, but it also I think it also really talks about how much better they believe they are than the Giants. And so when, when you have it, when you have an opponent that you're way better than, just don't screw it up. And I think that that's really that was really their their mindset. And we can argue whether that's right or not, but I think that that was really their mindset. Um, but, but this this leads me to one of the one of the kind of through lines that I want to talk about over the next three weeks, which was how much better the Cowboys were than the Giants these two games. I, I do think that the Cowboys offense really struggled. I think the Giants defense was the strongest part of their of their team. The Cowboys got 12 points off of three very short fields. That you you talked about the Jordan Lewis interception that led to a one play drive. I think where um, pretty sure it was like a one play drive where Zeke Elliott, uh, or maybe it was two plays where Zeke Elliott, you know, basically ran in from about 10 yards out um, after the interception. Then uh, they you know they they later on um, that f- the peanut punch fumble uh, got gave him a short field, and I think there was either a another turnover or um, and maybe New York, maybe New, uh, New York uh, turned over on downs. Oh yeah. And the Cowboys, they try to, the Cowboys had a short field he, and got uh, drove to a, drove to a touchdown they, there. They tried a so, quarterback sneak at their own 30, which yeah, usually yeah. has high success against the Cowboys. And they, you know, they struggle at stopping that, but no, they, they actually stopped them from, it was probably the worst poorly executed QB sneak I've ever seen too. But uh, yeah, that would give the ball at the 30. So that was, yeah, so they got the ball three times, like inside the thirty, and so and they came away with I think um, maybe more than thirteen points. I think they were, actually it looks like they got probably something like sixteen points out of that. So the reality is like they, I mean, they got their points by from the defense and the offense. They executed it in response to that, but like the offense was not the same offense it was the first game. Uh-huh. The offense and, and and the real key difference to me was there was just a lack of explosion. Like there were there were plays here, but like if you look at the first game, it was explosive run after explosive run. And by explosive runs, I'm talking about six, seven, eight, and nine, ten yard runs. I mean we're not talking about fifty yard runs. We're just talking about big chunks that, that keep you in in really really uh, enviable down and distance situations uh, that make the other team really fear the running game, and so that opens up the passing game and something happened, something changed. And, you know, Zeke was not the same player uh, between the two, the two games. I would say of all the players, he was the one who looked the most different. Um, Tony Pollard still had some nice explosive runs. Zeke did not. Uh, there were a lot of plays though, where they just they weren't blocking guys and, and, you know, Zeke and or Pollard were just kind of running into the line. Uh, Dak for, for whatever reason, and this is something that I think was true over the last half of the season, just whether it was injury or whether whether what he was seeing or he didn't trust the offense or something was happening where he just couldn't get the ball, push the ball downfield. And a couple of times he did, he threw short. He, he wasn't like, there was one time where Gallup was open, but he threw short and then allowed, allowed, um, um, I think it was James Bradbury maybe to, 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 to you know, catch up to the ball. And, and you know, those, those are not the kind of things that, like early in the season, you know, they opened the they opened the scoring against the Giants by with a big long you know a big bomb to to CD Lamb because the Giants started to creep up and and they took advantage of it and so the the offense was still very efficient and I think ultimately still pretty effective and pretty creative a lot of the same sort of a lot of the same sort of basic philosophical stuff you know like little boots and, and waggles and rolls to to get to get you know to get Dak uh, a little bit of extra time but 
guys are not either open downfield or Dak's not seeing them downfield or he's not trusting them or his arm's not strong enough to get downfield or something's happening yeah. or the, 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 those, those downfield throws are, are, are not happening. And it's possible because guys are not crowding the line because they're not fearing, fearing the running game in the same way for whatever reason, like those little, those little, like, you know, uh, play action roles to, to where, you know, you have a sort of high, low option and one of them's Schultz and one of them's like a, a receiver crossing or something, or maybe Jarwin. Those things were just getting chunks of yards in the first half of the season where, you know, they were so, the guys were so overcommitted to the run that, uh, you know, the, I mean, Dak had just like oodles of wide open guys to choose from. And now he's throwing those into much tighter windows. Dalton Schultz, you know, is catching balls and, you know, between two guys and then getting hit immediately. It's just, it's just a different look. Yeah. Nonetheless, the Cowboys were so clearly the better team. And so I guess that's that's one of the things that, that strikes me in in this particular review, and I expect will come up over the course of of our next couple of weeks conversation is that you know we talked about the the, the conversation that's been happening all team all off season and how teams or excuse me not teams but fans are bemoaning the the, the Cowboys' lack of you know big name free agent signings and saying they take us they took a step back and yes there's three big players that there are no longer on the team. I think two of them, they're not going to miss. I don't think that they, I don't think they're going to miss Amari Cooper or Leo Collins. I think that, that both those guys are worn out. They're welcome. And um, if, listen, the locker room, the only thing that matters to guys in the locker room is, can you still play? You know? Yeah. Uh, unless you're, unless you're really an a-hole um, or, or a really weird dude. Um, but I, I think that, Amari Cooper and Leo Collins were no longer worth the headaches that, that, that the team has to put up with because their play had declined. Yeah, let me. Let, I want to ask you this, Rabs. You know, what, rewatching this, these games, there, there's another player I wanted to bring up as far as someone we might miss because I was actually surprised that he actually made some good plays in this, and that's Cedric Wilson. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going back to the first game. Um, you know, he had, you know, he actually had. Um, he had a first down, passing, running, and catching. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. they had a really creative uh, trick play where he threw a pass to. He actually connected with Noah Brown, but Ceedee Lamb was was flying down the sideline. Well, that would have been a touchdown if he would have made the correct read. And he was actually like, you know, hitting himself because he knew it too. Um, and he probably even with Brown too if, if he would have hit him in stride. But so he had a great great play there. He had a nice thirty five yard. Sideline catch he came down with, and he did a very nice. Yeah, he had he mm-hmm. had a jet sweep on a fourth down play. So I mean, I wonder if if maybe we're not not you know worrying enough about you know the loss of Cedric Wilson. I did, can you remember the last time the Cowboys had had that good of a four foursome wide receiver group? Because that's uh, that's I don't. Uh, I think. I mean, honestly, the last time they might have had that kind of foursome at wide receiver was when they had, like, in the late 70s when they had... That long ago? Drew Pearson. Oh, yeah. Drew Pearson, Tony Hill, Butch Johnson, and Golden Richards. Ooh. Yeah, that's... Like, I mean, I, I, because since then, they've had talented receivers, but they haven't had a fourth receiver like Cedric Wilson. Yeah, I went back and started looking, because I remember, like, in the early 2010s-ish, you know, that when... Um, I know we had a kind of a good group there, and, like, I think, like... We had Miles Austin, Des Bryant, um, T. 
Terrence Williams and I think maybe Cole Beasley, but I think that was when Austin was not very good anymore. So it wasn't like, yeah, he was kind of done by, yeah, then. he was done they, by then. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it's hard. I don't, I don't know. Like when the last time they had, they were, they were that good of a group. And so, um, and I don't know who that's going to be that four guy. I mean, it, it could be James Washington this, this year, which he's not a bad mm-hmm. number four either, but, um, but I mean, but Cedric in particular, he was, he brought so many different things to, to the offense, and I'm wondering, yeah. like, um, will they miss that? Will they miss that? Because he could do those extra things. I, I think so, sure. I mean, I, I think that, you know, this goes back to what we were saying earlier, where there's not that much of a drop-off from the top players to the bottom players, you know? I mean, I, I think that, again, he, he he's a great example of, of that. When you, when, you, when you really focus on building up the middle and end of your roster, that that drop-off, you can even, you can mitigate that even more. Um, yeah, I think that I think they'll miss him. It's it's hard to find some guy, somebody who can do so many things. And we're not even counting his punt returning, which was mm-hmm. you know not explosive, but but really consistent. Um, yeah, I think I mean I think that there's there's a lot of games that we, if we if we rewatch from last year, we'll be like, oh wow, look at Cedric, holy smokes! I mean, if that that New England game, my God, that, that, you know, he made a couple of incredible catches in that New England game that really are contributed directly to them winning the game yeah um yeah i i think that i think that's fair um but at the same time i know there's lots of reasons to criticize the offensive that sort of offensive brain trust because they couldn't get the team out of the funk that they that they were in basically from the minnesota game on and i i think that that's valid at the same time their offensive coordinator is really creative and there's a there's a there's just a like that first giants game you're talking about the, just the way in which, the ways in which he was able to use use cedric um i think that he is going to find ways to maximize the players who are on the roster and um i think you know people i think point out rightly last year C.D. Lamb was their number one receiver. I think, you know, he, he was their number one receiver in terms of volume stats anyway. But he, I think, you know, if you, you, were, you were there in training camp with us. Like, who was the best player in training camp? Yeah, it was Lamb for sure. I mean, it was Lamb. And it was Lamb. And, and the second best player in camp was probably. Yeah, Lamb. I know. And he was. The best thing about camp was watching those two dudes who were both drafted, who drafted one, two in the same draft go head to head, you know, as second year players. And, and that was really exciting. And, um, so I think that something happened to C.D. Lamb in the middle of the season. I think with, with his injury, I think that, that you know, the, the sort of concussion that he suffered against the Chiefs, I think really sort of discombobulated him for a while. And, but he still led the team and, and was going to emerge this year as the number one, even if Amari Cooper was, was, on, was on the roster. So I, I think they're going to find ways to be creative. I, I think they're going to find ways to, to, to get guys open so they can make plays. And so, um, I I don't I, I mean I, I think it all it all goes to the if the offensive line can stay healthy and if something doesn't if something weird doesn't happen to Dak, they're gonna they're gonna be closer to that team that that we saw in the first half of the season. Um, I I believe I, I really do, uh, and I think that if they could if they if they are closer to that team now listen they could not win the division this year that's it's possible but i think if they're not going to do that something weird has to happen uh we're, and so we, we can talk more about this in the coming weeks but i think that 
certainly when we compare them to the Giants. Yeah. The, the the talent gap between the Cowboys and the Giants, even when even with the Cowboys losing the players they've lost, I think the talent gap is so significant. And it's particularly significant at quarterback. Um that it, 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 the, the, the Giants have a lot more work to do before they can be considered in the same conversation as the Cowboys. Right. They're just a significant, the Cowboys are a significantly better team. Yeah, if the Cowboys don't win the, the division this year, it will not be because the Giants have. Because, uh, yeah, what do you, how, how many wins do you see the Giants getting this year? I don't know. I mean, wins. You know, wins and losses. Are, right, are, let me are let me ask you this: Where are they going to finish in the division? That's really the question I wanted. Are they? Uh, let's say let's say third. Ooh, really? Okay. So yeah, I think. I mean, I think there'll be some there'll be some movement in the division. I, I mean, there's no division that's going to be the same as it was last year. That that doesn't happen, and that's because, as we've talked about so many times, luck is such a driving factor. And so, when you ask about wins, I mean. It feels like there's a base level of wins, and then the team could either lose four four more games or win four more games because there's so many so because luck and like close games is such a huge factor. Yeah, you know, I mean, a twelve and four team could it really be an eight and eight team that happened to get lucky? Yeah, I I think that I think the Giants have a lot of, and I totally agree with you. It's because of what they have at quarterback, and it wouldn't surprise me they struggle this year because of it, and they need to actually finally decide that we have to go a different direction because I mean, I'm not saying that, that Daniel Jones is terrible, but I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to get him anywhere. So the giants could find themselves at a crossroads real soon. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, people are talking about their offensive line being better. They have a, they have a pretty interesting receiver core, although it looks like they're getting, they're, they're, they've soured on Kadarius Tony. So that's, the, that that hope that existed after the first Cowboy game because he was like really their one bright spot right yeah the first time they played he had you know he had almost two hundred yards receiving or maybe even two hundred yards receiving. yeah he played with a lot of several several big plays he was a, a monster he, and they were talking about how he was going to start taking over the league yeah he had a lot of fighting um, in that game he literally had a lot of fighting in him yeah yeah uh, and so I and and I think the, the one thing we have to take into consideration is how much more effective their offense will be with Greg Roman. Uh, you know, sort of organizing it, and it's likely that it'll be more, it'll be more creative, it'll be more consistent. But you know, offensive coordinators are only as good as their best players, and I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's tough. I, I think they could be better. I don't, I don't see, I don't see him necessarily transforming Daniel Jones, but it's it's, it's possible. So I think that his influence can be enough to maybe leap them over, you know, either the Eagles or or the or the um, Commanders. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have for today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever your podcast. Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Tell us what you think. Anything you would like to see us do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if there's anything you want to talk to us about, uh, any Cowboys hot topics, players to look for in training camp, or is there anything weird that you have about you, you know, pertaining to to your beloved Cowboys? Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyPhantom24, and Rob's is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have Cowboys Oi with Mauricio Rodriguez, and Sunday we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check those out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. 
Stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue, and we will catch you later. What are you doing in class? You should be at the beach. It's summertime. Go!